you've been here for the last three weeks, you know where to go, right? We're going to finish up the book of Jonah this morning. So Jonah chapter 4 is where we will begin this morning. But again, just to kind of bring you up to speed, we'll take the short version here. Jonah, a prophet of God. Jonah, a prophet of God, has been called by God to deliver a message to the evil city of Nineveh in the enemy territory of the country of Assyria. These are not, these are not friends to him. These are not friends to the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, they've got their crosshairs on them, and they are looking to attack them during this time of, of history. But however, God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them because their, weakness, their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah says, I don't really like that idea, so therefore I'm going to Tarshish instead, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So he goes down to Joppa, finds a boat going to that direction, pays his fare, which I did find out through further research. It was uncustomary to pay your fare before you actually arrived at your destination. So he went ahead and paid the fare in advance. So it kind of goes to show how determined he was to get away from what God had called him to do. So he jumps on the boat and bad things start to happen. God doesn't like the fact that he's trying to escape his presence by getting on a ship to go in the opposite direction. So he brings about a storm on the, um, on the, on the water that causes a lot of chaos. And through a course of events, uh, Jonah is, is seen as the guilty person on the ship, and he ends up getting thrown overboard, and the, sea be, and the sea becomes quiet for them. And throughout God's wonderful um, um, hand in it all, his sovereignty, the men of the ship actually turn to God, and they offer sacrifices, and they pay vows to him. And here we see that God, even in um, Jonah's rebellion, was able to work something good and bring about salvation to the men on the ship. So, let me jump, let me jump into um, chapter 2. After leaving Jonah in a well that had been uh, prepared for him by God, he was swallowed up whole and somehow sustained, was sustained um, his life for three days and three nights as he had some time to think about what he had done. All right, this is, this is almost like a uh, timeout inside of a fish, okay? The, uh, so, the, so a corner is much more pleasant, but however, because of his rebellion, because the storm was not enough to convince Jonah to repent and walk in obedience, God prepared a fish, swallowed him up, and he just sat there and cooked for about three days. And after three days, because of the affliction that he was under, according to what um, the Word of God tells us here in chapter 2, that Jonah prayed to God. He prayed to God. And, and through, through chapter 2, we see where he, um, he kind of describes everything that he had gone through, the suffering. And we see God's, God's loving, corrective hand again in Jonah's life. This was to drive him back to obedience to, um, to what he had told him in chapter 1, which was to do what? Go to Nineveh and preach the message that I have given to you. Which brings us to chapter 3, once he gets spit out. Now, after he prayed and confessed and repented, God spoke to this fish. He spit out Jonah onto dry land. And now we see that we have a God of, who is a God of second chances. Yes, God relented of the affliction that was on Jonah at this point. He spoke to the fish and he spit him out. But he did not relent of the call that he had on, on him. He required obedience from Jonah. Even though he had repented and said, I'm sorry, I will pay that I, would, I have vowed. 
And so he gets spit out on dry ground, and the word comes to him again, saying the exact same thing. Now it's time to get up and do what I told you to begin with and go to Nineveh. It's kind of like your child. You say, empty the dishwasher, right? Doesn't happen. Okay, give me your phone. You've lost it for a day. Okay, Dad, I am sorry. Okay, so what? It's time to do what? Empty the dishwasher. It's time to do what I had told you to do. You do not get out of it. God is still calling Jonah to obedience even after his repentance. So God is requiring it. So repentance requires a change in our behavior to obedience to the very word of God. That required us to be, um, that caused us to be disobedient in the first place. All right, so, so after that, he is repentant. He goes and he preaches to the people of the great city of Nineveh. He preaches a great sermon, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And we see an amazing transformation that took place in the city of Nineveh. From the greatest to the least, they were putting on sackcloth and ashes and mourning. And the king, he put out a decree, and he said that every person will will put themselves in sackcloth and ashes and cry mightily to God and stop doing the evil that you're committing and get rid of the violence that is in your hand. Who can know if God will relent from the destruction that we are about to face? Even in the face of destruction, they did not know for sure. They did not have the guarantee that upon their repentance that God would actually relent of the destruction. But however, they understood it was their only hope right? Because remember, they knew that they were guilty. They knew they did not deserve mercy because they were guilty, but they also knew that it was their only hope was to cry out to God mightily and repent. And that's exactly what they did. And what we find here is the result of that. In verse 10, it says, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. What a time to celebrate, right? Such an amazing work of the hand of God as he shows his grace and his mercy to a people who will repent and turn to him. We have a great God and creator who is exactly what Jonah is about to describe him to be here in chapter 4. So here we are at chapter 4. Now you would think that any preacher or evangelist, whenever he goes and he preaches a revival in a foreign land and he gets an amazing altar call, it would be something to be proud of, right? It would be something to give God glory for. It would be something that we can, we can brag on God and what he did. But Jonah went and preached and probably put the least amount of effort as any evangelist that I've ever seen and probably got the biggest outturn or outcome from preaching. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown and the entire city repents and turns to God. But we find Jonah in, verse, in chapter 4 and verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry about it. We see in verses, verses 1 through 3, starting in verse 2, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live." Jonah was not excited about the results of his preaching. 
He was not excited about the fact that Nineveh had repented and God had extended his grace to the people of Nineveh, the enemy of the children of Israel. He didn't want that. So why would this displease Jonah so much? Now we understand that, yes, Assyria was the enemy of the people of Israel. They were not friends. They didn't like each other. And yes, they were threatening Israel at this time. But another flip side to this is that another reason why Jonah may have been displeased is that he loved Israel. And this would, and this would extend the threat of Israel if God did not judge them and destroy them. But he loved Israel, he loved the one true God, and he desired that Israel would repent. Why? Because they were backslidden. They were, they were living very sinfully and rebellious towards God during the time of the prophet Jonah. And think about it, he's given all of his effort. He's been speaking the message that God has been given him to his own people to no avail. And he goes to Nineveh, the enemy of his people, and he preaches and they repent and they experience God's grace. But also at the same time, if we go back to 2 Kings chapter 14, if you want to turn with me there, 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 23 we also see here, it says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. So this is Jeroboam the second, not Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And listen, listen to what he did. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from all of the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. But listen to what goes on. Now, this is the king that did evil in the sight of the Lord and continued on the sins of Jeroboam I, who caused Israel to sin. So, so Israel is not in a good position here. They are living sinfully before God and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. But listen to what, he, what God does through King um, Jeroboam. In verse 25, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, According to the word of God of Israel, which he had spoken through his, son, his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefer. Now they are living sinfully, yet God is being gracious. He's looking, at the children, he's looking at the people of Nineveh who are living sinfully, and he doesn't like the fact that God has extended grace to them. And they, are, and they have repented. So I can understand that, that Jonah is having a little bit of a struggle here. He's seeing the other people, his enemies, are getting blessed. And he's seeing them repent, but the people to whom he's been preaching for for a while has still not repented. And look what, look what God continues to do, as we see here in verse 26. It says, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the evil king, the son of Joash. So they're experiencing gr the grace of God, but however, Jonah probably wanted his people to repent and be right with God. So therefore, he may be a little bit bitter about the fact that this evil nation, this enemy of the people of God is now repentant and they're seeing God's favor upon them. How many of you, even though this is a selfish and limited perspective that Jonah has, can relate to what Jonah is going through? Yes. If I was to put myself in Jonah's shoes at that time in history with that job that I've been given, I may act exactly the same way because we can kind of understand the dilemma that he's facing. 
Now, he is, he is part of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, and yet they are living sinful, and he goes to the enemies, and they repent, and God shows them this grace. But I want you to understand, regardless of how we may be able to understand his feelings, regardless of how Jonah may have felt about the situation, this was not God's perspective, and this perspective is wrong, and it is sinful for us to have for Jonah to have this type of a outlook of the people of Nineveh. So we look at verse 2. Now Jonah does a good thing here. What's the first thing we find in verse 2? He prays. He is angry. He is spitting mad and bitter towards the people of Nineveh. He's angry about the situation and the fact that they're experiencing God's grace and yet they're, God's, they're enemies of God's people. And he's bitter about the situation, but what's good about this is that he prays to God. Now, out of his anger, he prays. Now, this is a good thing for him to do, but I want us to take just a, a, a look here in verse 2. It says, so he prayed. Now, I want you to, to notice how many times the first-person pronoun is used. And what, what he says is, so, so, and so he prayed to the Lord, and I said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who re- relents from doing harm. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." Newsflash, Jonah, it's not about you, buddy. It's not about you, Jonah. God did not call you to this task for you. Okay, this was about what God wanted to do with the people of Nineveh. It's not about you and it's not about me. Whenever it comes to us doing what God has called us to do, it is not about me. It's about bringing honor and glory to our heavenly Father. It's about praising the name of Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And if I could say it one more time, it's really just about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. But however, whenever God calls us to be obedient to him, it's about doing what he has called us to do for his purpose, for his glory. You know, if we find ourselves um, in, in, this, in this way, it's about Jesus, it's not about us. Once we start talking about the way things that we want them to be and the things that we should see them the way that I would like them to be, and because of this, this is what I said would happen, then we are making it about us. And that's exactly what Jonah was saying here. I mean, everything that he said, oh, Lord, was it not I that said it when I was still in my country? Apparently, they had a conversation, um, you know, before he actually fled to Tarshish, or maybe he was speaking in regard to what he was thinking um, and and knowing that God knows his thoughts. But he's like, look, God, I called it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew this is what you were going to do. If I preached the message that they would repent and you would relent, I knew it. But it's not about me. And, he is, and notice, notice what he is doing. Out of his anger, he prays and he relents to God about what God did. And he didn't like what God did because he made it about himself. And, you know, there was a, there was a um, I think it was Francis Chan. I saw a video about this. Whenever he, had, he, he, was, he was dealing with an issue with 
um, was, was self-centered type type of things. And what and what it was a funny thing. I'm just going to share this with you. I'm not really trying to say say anything or or be or joke on the square about this. But one person came to him after the uh, service, and uh, they were complaining. They said, "Like I really didn't like the music that was sung this morning." And he said it came out of his mouth before it was actually sanctified. He goes, well, that's fine because we weren't singing to you anyway. Right? But in all reality, it's really not about us. Whenever it comes to all different types of things, if we make it about our desires and fulfilling what we want and what we think that things should be, and we're putting Jesus Christ aside and putting our preferences as number one, then we're making it about ourselves and not about what God has called us to do. Now, whenever he does pray, out of his anger, he does pray. He prays and he laments to God. And I, I can commend him for this because he didn't hold anything back. He's being honest with God and he's, being, and he's pouring his heart out. But notice this is not a prayer of praise or thanksgiving for what God has done. And yes, he is saying that God is a loving, kind, patient, gracious God that he is, but it's not so much that he's praising him for it as much as he is complaining about it. He's complaining about the fact that God is gracious and kind to the people of Nineveh. He's like, I told you. This is what we talked about before I fled to Tarshish. For I know you are gracious. I know you are merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. But he does actually pray to God. I want you to understand, if we find ourselves to be angry, even angry with God, we should go to him in prayer. We should talk to him. We should not hold it back. And if you think that things are unfair for you in life, then tell him about it. If you think you're getting a short in this stick, great. Pour your heart out to it. I'm going to tell you something. He can take it. And he already knows anyway. You might be fake in front of your friends and be able to hide it and stuff it down and let nobody else know. But when it comes to your God, it's the, best, the best thing is just to be open and honest with him. God's people throughout the Bible, they do this. Look at the prophet like, like Elijah. You have David. Read the book of Psalms. There's a book entitled Lamentations. Read the prophets. These are people were calling out to God and saying, where are you at times? What's going on? Are you going to allow these enemies to overtake us the way that we are? So cry out to God. And yes, I, I can commend him for going to God in prayer and being open with him. God is an infinite being. He can handle you being mad at him, but however, we are to cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. But when you do, when you pray to God, be ready for the answer. Right? Be ready for the answer because how did he respond to this? In verse, in, uh, in, in chapter 4, we see where Jonah is mad and bitter. He complains about how God is merciful and slow to anger towards the people of Nineveh upon their repentance. It's not like they didn't repent, but upon their repentance, God is, is gracious to them. Therefore, kill me because I want to die. It's better for me to die than to live. In verse 4, it says, Then the Lord says, Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I don't see this as a sarcastic remark from God. Well, I can see this as the God that Jonah knows him to be, one who is patient, one who is gracious, one who is slow to anger, full of loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. And then as, as Jonah's saying, just kill me, God just looks down and says, is it really right for you to be angry? Is the condition in which you are now, is it right? I can understand you, you're overtaken with emotions. You've had a bad week. And you pile all that stuff on top of it. He's had a terrible week, and we're leading to this point. 
You've had a bad week, but is it right? Regardless of your feelings right now, regardless of how you feel against the people of, the, of Assyria, regardless of the fact that they are enemies, is it right for you to be angry at this? How many of you have ever been angry and it wasn't justified? Oh, very few of you. Okay, we can hang out then. Those are the people that can be my friends. But however, he was, he's like, is it right for you to be angry? Is your anger justified? Now in this, if you read between the lines what God is asking him, is it right for you to be angry when people turn to me in repentance? Is it right for you to be angry? If you're angry at this, Jonah, then you do not share my heart for the world. You do not share the compassion that I have towards all people. And because this rhetorical question was left unanswered, I, I can say that Jonah really knows in his heart that his anger truly is not justified and it is not right for him to be angry at the fact that Nineveh repented and God relented. So no. But the rhetorical question, notice the conversation is stopped. And silence is usually acquiescence. If you, don't, if you don't respond, then most likely you agree with the statement that was made. And we see Jonah here, he does not respond to this. I mean, I can kind of see him just kind of like getting the question, like, whatever. And just kind of walking away. Because that's exactly what he does. So the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And verse 5 says, so Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, which is a higher elevation over the city, so there he made himself a shelter and he sat under the shade till he might see what would become of the city. It's still a possibility in his mind that he's going to get to see a fireworks show. He has seen that God has relented. He has seen that the, that the people have repented. And now, even though the conversation, he's had a prayer before God, and he says, look, I'm just, I'm, I'm anger. This is what I told you was going to happen. I knew you would do this. Therefore, kill me. And God said, is it right for you to be angry? And then he walks out to the edge of the city so he can get a good bird's eye view of Nineveh to see what would become of the city. Maybe he gets to see the fireworks show. Maybe not. But obviously, nothing happens. In verses 6 through 8, what we find here, it says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. And so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. Then the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is having a bad day. I mean, we can just kind of feel just the misery that he is going through. I'm sure he's tired, he's exhausted. Now he's, he's mad at the fact that the enemies of God have been saved and now he's out on the east side of the, side of the city hoping to see the fireworks and nothing's happening. And now, out of no work of his own, God prepared a plant that would shade Jonah. How gracious is God to Jonah again? 
But, John, but God's, God is going to be teaching him a lesson about this plant here very soon. So the plant comes up, but notice, notice Jonah's reaction to the plant. What's it? It says Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but the fact that the children of Nineveh and God relented of the destruction, he became very angry. He's very angry at the fact that people repented and God relented from the destruction, but when a plant comes up and gives him shade, that gives him reason to rejoice. Why? Because it benefited who? It benefited Jonah himself. Again, it's not about us. Okay, it's not about you and me. And we see that Jonah was very, was very bitter whenever the grace of God was on to other people, even his enemies, but he was extremely grateful when he had a little shade by God's grace. But as the morning, as the morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. He prepared the plant, so now he prepared a worm. Maybe God, is, God said, look, I gave you shade long enough for you to see what was going to happen. Now, Jonah, it's time to go home and to stop pouting and get back to the work that I've called you to do. So, so we notice that now, that now the grace of God gave him the plant, but now we see the affliction is coming right back on Jonah again. So he takes away the shade. And he, 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 he prepares not only the worm to destroy the plant, but he prepares an, a, 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 a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, and so that he grew faint. Well, something all too familiar for Jonah. He knows what it is like to grow faint. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and he became faint. Now he is outside the belly. He's on the east side of, the, on the east side of, um, of Nineveh, and now the heat is now beating down on him. He's had a bad day. He's had a bad week. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's cranky, and now you put heat on top of that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It just, it's just making it just worse. It's just a miserable situation for Jonah because he's making it about himself and now that he wants to see the city destroyed. And because nothing is happening, because now, now, the, uh, now that the sh his shade is gone and now the sun is beating on him, rather than getting up and packing his things and going back home, he would just rather die. It is better for me to die than to live. And then, after begging for his death one more time, God, again, poses another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, Jonah's made it about the plant, right? But really, it's not just about the plant. But God says, look, you're throwing a fit now because I, I, I covered you with a plant. Now it's withered away, and now it's a little bit hot. But is it right for you to be angry about the plant? But notice he didn't answer the question previously, is it right for you to be angry when it was concerning Nineveh? Now God asked him, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry. Even to death I should be angry because of the plant. It's hot out here, man. And I'm miserable. Things are not going well for me. So just kill me where I am. You know, he, didn't, he did not take the position that Job taught. You know, bless, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You, you took my plant, kill me. Because it was no longer serving the purpose to shade Jonah any longer. If there's an extension of God's grace through the plant, then it appears that God is, again, starting the affliction of Jonah by taking those things away and allowing the heat to come up on Jonah. 
And then feeling the heat, he becomes faint, and Jonah wishes for his death, and then he asks this question, or is it right for you to be angry? Yes, it is, even to death. Now, this is the last statement that we know that comes from Jonah. There's not, a, there's not, a, there's not anything, any more history about the prophet Jonah other than what we have read earlier in the book of 2 Kings and what we've read here. Now, Jesus does speak to it in the New Testament, but only speaks to the fact that he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. And he also speaks to um, the generation of Nineveh would actually be able to stand and condemn the current generation in which Jesus stood. Nothing else is actually spoken about Jonah. We don't know anything else about Jonah. I don't know if he stayed there on the east side of the city and died of starvation and pouting. I don't know. There's some outside resources that say that he lived to be 120, 130. Another one says that, you know, he never died, but those are outside sources. I don't know how... how um, uh, you know, how, how, how correct that they are, but in the Word of God, there is nothing else that mentions the work of Jonah at all. I don't know if he became bitter and just went home and just gave up. I don't know if he went and he had a great, he, he had a great um, uh, revival in his own life and he began preaching the Word of God in a very strong way, but however, we, we don't know. All that we know is this is the last words that Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death, because of my plant. What a way to be left. And so God, he goes on, he's, he's teaching him now a lesson concerning this plant in relation to the people of Nineveh. He goes on and he's, he's, now he has, the proper, he has the proper setup and the grounding now to teach Jonah a nice little object lesson concerning with what just happened. He says, is it, is it, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. Even to death, it's right for me to be angry. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Now what he has done, he has, he has demonstrated to Jonah here that he is angry about something in which he had invested nothing. Jonah was angry about something in which he had invested nothing. He didn't cause the plant to grow. He didn't cause the plant to wither. It came up and he was blessed with it for a short amount of time. But when it died, he became angry because of it. Yet he did nothing. But yet he was able to, um, but he was able to experience the shade that it brought for a short time. He's throwing a fit about it now because it's gone. He says, is it? It's like you, it's like, and then he says, but the Lord said, you have had pity on this plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. In verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city. You pitied a plant for which you had no interest, and now is it wrong for me to pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? Should I pity the city of Nineveh, a people whom I have created? These people are the work of my hands. These are the people who bear my image on themselves. This is the people whom I love. This is the people to whom I have promised a redeemer through your people. I pity them, not because of their wickedness, but because of their need for salvation, because of what will become of them if they do not repent. Jonah, should I not pity these people in Nineveh? Well, the obvious implied answer to the question is yes. But notice there's no response from Jonah here. Silence is acquiescence. 
He's admitting, yes, God, you're probably right. God was justified in showing mercy to Nineveh because of their repentance and because he was going to satisfy his justice in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, their sin just didn't get pushed aside. It didn't just get ignored. When the people of Nineveh repented and turned towards God, God just didn't overlook their sin and push it aside and forget about it. No, this is not the way that it worked. He didn't just push it aside. The sin of Nineveh was paid for on the cross of Calvary, the same place yours, mine, and Jonah's was paid. And because, he was, and because Jesus Christ was going to come one day, and because the wrath of God and the justice that Nineveh deserved was going to be poured out on Jesus Christ, and he was going to die and shed his blood for the sins of the world, gave God the ability to, in fact, forgive them of their sins and relent from the judgment that they deserved because he was able to do that. This is about, the, about Jesus Christ and the compassion that he has for the world and that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for the sins of all of the world. Now, God is not content with any nation, friend or foe, to be outside of his circle of love. And God's rejection of Jonah's desire to destroy Nineveh for all of mankind, this is an open rebuke for anyone who believes that God's grace is not for everyone. Regardless of who they are, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. God's grace is for everyone who is willing to repent and trust in Christ as their personal Savior. Regardless of our nationality, regardless of our geographical location, regardless of skin color, whether we're black or whether we're white or whether we have a history of Baptist theology or we have a history of Muslim theology, the grace of God is made to be given to all people. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers the sins of all people throughout the entire world. But we must repent of our sins and trust in the work of the cross. It is for everyone. See, God, he saved the people of Nineveh because they repented and they turned towards him. An enemy nation. What we don't need to have is the attitude that Jonah had, which was very selfish and very narrow to the perspective that God had. God's compassion is worldwide, cross-cultural. It is for all people. Now, rather than leave you with an, with an example of what not to do, which was what we find in Jonah, the attitude of which we don't want to have, as we prepare for a time of invitation, as our musicians come forward, I'm going to read from the book of Acts in chapter 20. A description of what we should do when it comes to taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us and not be restrained from anyone with whom we share it with. We see that Jonah was very reluctant to go to the people of Nineveh because he hated them. But however... Through the loving hand and corrective hand of God, he was obedient, and God used that to save Nineveh. But then the bitterness and anger that came upon Jonah was something that we don't want to share or have in common because we need to have the heart of God when it comes to the world around us. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, From, from, uh, Miletus, to, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church. And when he had come to him, he said to him, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. This is the manner in which he lived in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility, which means he put himself aside. 
He served the Lord with humility, regardless of what it caused or called him to do. He did it, and he humbled himself before an almighty God and was obedient. He says, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was of, of the tribe of Benjamin. His own people caused the tears and trials that happened to him. Yet he still, in humility, went forward with the ministry that God had given him. In verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. He didn't hold his message back from anyone. Jew, Gentile, Greeks, it did not matter. And what he did preach to them was repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, but because the Holy Spirit has led me and I am bound to the obedience to the Holy Spirit, I am now going to go to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Regardless of the results, regardless of the negative results that are going to happen to Paul, he's saying, I am going because I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm going to, humil I'm going to humble myself before God and go where he calls me. So knowing the chains and, and tribulations await him, and look at verse 24, but none of this moves me. I'm not afraid of any of this. None of this is going to, going to push me away from the fact that I am going where the Holy Spirit is directing me to go. It says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He's putting himself aside. His life is not dear to himself. And the reason being, so that I may finish my race with joy. Jonah did not finish his race with joy. He was obedient to the end and he did what God called him to do, but he did not lack joy because he didn't, he didn't humble himself before God and, and, and see, that, see, see that his obedience to God was where the joy came from. He died, or he, he left. The last thing we know, he was bitter and angry, crying out for his death. And we see Paul at his death, <laughs> praising God and doing what the Spirit has led him to do, that I can finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, and that ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the example that we need to be. So don't be like Jonah in everything that he did. Repent, yes. Be obedient, yes. But do it with the right attitude. Find your joy in what he has called you to do. So as we stand and we prepare for an invitation this morning, you've heard the word of God this morning. I pray that you have, what you have heard, the Lord is speaking to your heart, and it's time to respond to him. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for so much for the truth that we have that we can behold the truth. Father, and I pray that if you've spoken to the hearts of anyone here this morning, that they do business with you, whether it's repentance or rededication, Father, whether it's salvation and they need to come to you for the first time. Father, I pray that they do it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.